Amen. Well, I am so excited to begin a brand new series this morning, Merry and Bright. And I pray that you are excited as well for all the Lord has over the coming four weeks. And as I try to say often, um, I want to encourage you to make it a point to try to be here for every week of the series. Uh, and I, I come into it expecting God to, to encourage you, to strengthen you. I pray that you've been praying before you came in this morning that God would just really speak to our hearts and the minds as we gather together. Uh, just a reminder, if you would like to follow along, there is on our app, North Goodland BC, in your app store, there is a uh, notes uh, section there where you can follow along on an outline. And so uh, if you go into our app, then you go into media and then sermon notes, you will see today's date. And then you'll see an opportunity where you can click on an outline. And there are some fill-ins there. Or if you're taking notes uh, with pen and paper this morning, however you're encouraging your studies, we uh, obviously invite you to do that. And so again, I know someone mentioned to me that the outline on the app, uh, the little boxes, because uh, I always mention, I was like, take time to fill those in and, and kind of get involved in the outline. And someone said, do you realize how small print that is? And you want me to get in there and type this little thing in a box? And I was like, well, I'll just write it down by hand, then that'll be fine. So, but we are so excited for this morning, excited for the series that, that we have ahead of us. Um, and I do love this time of year because I, I believe it gives us a great opportunity to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to lift him up and to focus everything on him. I feel like often in our lives, we go through day to day and we, we forget that sometimes. And I know even in Christmas, we can find ourselves getting wrapped up in the different emphasis or the different reasons that people celebrate Christmas. But I pray that we will come together over the next four weeks and desire to deepen our love for him and to deepen our understanding of what it really means that Christ came to us, that the Lord Jesus Christ over 2000 years ago was born of a virgin that he might live a sinless life and die on a sinner's cross being buried and rising again. Why? So that you and I, one day when we come to an age of understanding, we can place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. And there is a lot to celebrate this Christmas season. Amen. There is so much to be thankful for. Or our church family, but we can share it with our community. We can love that we have in Christ, that we get to celebrate this Christmas season. Now, so often, we tend to come into Christmas and into December with two different mindsets. There's those that are just so excited. They're so thankful. They're just, man, they love every part of it. They love the decorations. They love the gifts. They love the wrapping. I don't know anyone who loves wrapping personally. I hate wrapping presents. I really wish we could just put it in the grocery bag, and here you go. Merry Christmas. God bless you, right? Like they don't care about the wrapping paper for the most part. Now, some of you guys do. Uh, any wrapping paper savers? Anyone save the wrapping paper? Don't put your head down. You do it. Raise your hand. Be proud. Someone literally went right here. Okay, right here. Okay. Now, I learned a long time ago, I've been married for a handful of years, and so 17 years, and my wife hasn't, you know, killed me yet, so it's a good year. Uh, but I've only been married for a short time, but I learned something early on. You always save the gift bags, guys. Oh, always save the gift bags. Not just the gift bags, because see, I thought I was slick. I was like, I'll save the gift bags. Sandra will love that. The tissue paper, fellas, keep the tissue paper. And I'm not talking about just, we'll keep that for later. No, no, we're folding that, right? We're creasing. We're, it's color coordinated in the drawer, okay? We're all about that. So when we give gifts, some people love that. They love the idea of getting excited about the gift giving. Some people love shopping for that perfect gift, right? You've got your list and you're thinking, oh man, they're going to love this. The other mindset that some people come into December with is, I'm just getting through to January. 
Like, I'm just going to put my head down, and I'm just going to get through to January, and I'll worry about the credit card debt. I'll worry about all that later. You know, I'm just, I'm not even looking forward to it. I just got to get through December. Just get me through. So I want to encourage you this morning. Let's not have that mindset. Let's not come into December with a bah humbug attitude, okay? And maybe Christmas isn't really your thing as far as the decorations and all that. We need to see Christmas as more than just the decorations, more than just the gift giving. Now, does this mean we don't give gifts? No, give gifts. And I, I do think it's cool that we wrap them up because it's kind of a surprise to the people. They don't know what they're getting. You know, they open it up and they're excited. And I love that. It's good to do that. But Christmas is more than the gifts. It's good to give gifts. And I, I love it when people put thought into it. And by the way, maybe you're sitting thinking, like, yeah, well, I can't afford the thing my kid wants. I've got two boys, 15 and 12. And I've realized something every year. The list gets shorter but the budget gets bigger. It's like, I only want one thing, dad, but the thing you want is $400. Yeah, but I just want one thing. I'd rather buy it's 37 things for $29.99. So, I mean, can we do that? Man, I love when my kids were little. You remember if you have children that are older now, remember when your kids were little and you can go to like the toy aisle at Walmart? Spend a dollar store? Okay, we're not going into that. That's a little personal, Vic. We don't want to. I'm going to call Randy later and Amanda and be like, I'm really sorry. I, I, you shouldn't have grown up that way. He's like, you guys got $10. Go for it. Have fun. But no, we, we remember those times when you go in and you, you buy these gifts and it's great. It's all good. But, but if Christmas is just about the gifts in January and in February, and in March, when that newness has wore off, it's going to lose something. But man, if, if Christmas is about something more than that, if it's about a person and not a thing, oh man, then we can celebrate Christmas all year round as Pastor Greg prayed. And so this morning, that's what we want to do. We want to talk about, and over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about what does it really look like to celebrate the gift of salvation, to celebrate the gift of of salvation. Again, over the next four weeks, we want to celebrate this idea of what salvation really is. And we're going to begin this morning by realizing that one of the reasons we celebrate the gift of salvation is because it is the right gift at the right time. It was the right gift and is the right gift at the right time. Now, we're going to look at some scripture this morning. We're going to look at three different passages to begin. And I know usually we open with one passage and we kind of go through the word from there. But we're just going to go to three different passages that kind of set the stage for all that we're going to look at in the coming weeks. And so if you don't have a copy of God's word with you, whether on a device or maybe in uh, printed form, uh, in the chairs in front of you, there are some Bibles available. And so if you want to use one of those, you're welcome to do so. Uh, or maybe you have it on your device or something like that. Uh, on our app, there's also a Bible feature on there as well. So we just want to get into God's word because here's the thing. This morning and every morning that we gather, if you come just to hear my thoughts or my opinions, you're going to leave really disappointed. You're going to leave really disappointed, discouraged, frustrated. But if we gather to hear from the word of God, we're only going to leave full and joyful and thankful. You see, we don't gather as a church to hear some man's opinion on what God has said. We gather to hear what God has said. And so the word of God is the foundation for all that we do as a church here. And so let's jump into the first passage, Isaiah. 
all the way back in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. Now, again, a familiar verse this time of year, but again, it sets the stage for what we're celebrating over the coming weeks. So Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can actually just page or turn to page 494. So if you're using a Bible provided, page 494, Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 6. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Now this first line is enough to praise him. It's enough to be excited. But we're going to read the whole verse and a few more to follow. But look at verse 6 of chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. Like that's enough to praise. That's enough to just kind of camp there for a while. And just realize unto us a child was born. That the Lord Jesus Christ was born of a virgin because we know what he came to do. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that's our God. You know, once upon a time in church history, there was a debate as to who really was Jesus Christ. Is he like God or is he the same as God? And there was a debate in early church history and a council was formed. Maybe you've heard of the Council of Nicaea and it was a group of church leaders that came together. And do you know the issue that they debated? Now, if you listen to atheists or those that discount the word of God, they'll tell you, well, that's when the Bible was put together. That's when the New Testament was put together. It's not true, not even according to Christians, but according to history, it's not true. The Council of Nicaea met together to discuss one key point, primarily, who is Christ? Is he like God or is he God? And their determination, their decision was that Jesus Christ is not like God. Jesus Christ is the very same essence as God. He is God. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That Jesus Christ, the Son born unto us, is not just like God. He is God. Go over to Matthew chapter 2. All the way in the New Testament. First book of the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2. And look at verse 1. Again, very familiar passages that we're going to look at. But again, it sets the stage for what we're going to be doing. If you're using a Bible provided, you can go to page 671. But again, just the first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. So Matthew 2 and verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. So now, why, why would they come? And we're going to read in Luke in just a moment here. They came because he was born King of kings and Lord of lords. And they're coming to worship him. I love this verse in Matthew because we have a specific time in a specific place that Jesus was born. If you were making something up, if you were trying to fabricate a story, you would not give specific dates, places, and times. You would try to be so vague and so general that it could fit in any part of time. You want to be vague enough that no one can really prove you wrong. You want to be general enough that no one can ever really research it and discover that you were lying. But here, Matthew, as he writes the gospel for us, reveals to us a specific time, a specific place, a specific event. 
Because it happened. This is historical fact. That unto us a son is given. Unto us a child is born. And Matthew 2 says that child that was given, that son that was born, is Jesus Christ. And it's recorded for us in the Gospels. Luke chapter 2. So you have Matthew, you have Mark, and then you have Luke. Luke chapter 2. And we're going to look at verse 1. So Matthew gives us an idea of a timeline here. Luke gives us even more of a specific timeline. We see again, you can go back and people could study this and understand this really happened. Luke chapter 2, look at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went, verse 3, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went out from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. I, I know some of the ladies here that have had children, or are getting ready to deliver, you're done being great with child, right, at some point? You're like, I'm over being great with child because the child is getting wearisome, okay? But this is just saying that she's ready to deliver. Verse 6. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And this account that Luke gives, gives more detail of even Matthew's accounts. Now, some of you may know this, but Luke, the gospel of Luke is written by not an apostle, but by a physician named Luke who ministered with the apostle Paul later in the New Testament. This individual also wrote the the, uh, book of Acts, the Acts according to the apostles. And so Luke wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And when you read both of these accounts, you see great detail given to historical relevance to when and where and what was going on. And so again, like Matthew, someone can read verse 1 of chapter 2 and really quickly know, I know exactly when this happened. I know when the decree was given. I know when that was commanded that we had to do that. So there's all this effort given. Why? Because this account, this coming of this child, literally changes all of human history. This is the most vital moment for us to understand is the coming of Christ because everything hinges from past and future on this moment. The Old Testament is fulfilled in a moment that Jesus cried his first cry. The New Testament is unraveled as we look back to the life and ministry and death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it all hinges on this moment. This moment changed everything. And this is why we have peace. This is why Romans 5 and verse 1 says that you're justified by faith. You were an enemy of God. Now you have peace with God. Why? Because Christ came. And we worship him and we praise him because he came. And here we see the verse that is so powerful to me is verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. I remember trying to wrap an infant in something. That was fun. You ever notice they always get something out? 
It's like an arm sticking out over here, and you're like, how did that happen? I thought I was... Then you rewrap and do something, the foot sticking out, and you're like, what is going on? Now, when they were real little, that didn't happen. When they got older, they just loved to squirm, right? She says, he wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Well, this is the part that has always got me because there was no room for them in the inn. This is God himself incarnate, God in flesh, come to save us from our sins. And he comes this way, this humble, this meek, and this mild. He comes as a child, as an infant. And they didn't even consider them high enough and important enough to give them room in an inn. The song that the praise team led us in this morning is a room in your heart for him. And do we have room in our lives for Christ? Do we have room in our hearts and in our minds for Christ? Or are we so focused on what we want and our kingdom and our desires that we're not giving him any room? I mean, we'll give him a little room as long as it's convenient and comfortable and it's, he's going to do what we want like a genie. And we just throw out some wishes and he fulfills them. And he makes our life good and he gives us a good life and a good bank account and a nice car and a nice house and health and all of those things. If he does that, yeah, you can have some room. Man, I, I believe if he really is all that we just read him to be, the Prince of Peace and the Everlasting Father, the Wonderful Counselor, then he doesn't deserve just a little bit of us. He deserves all of us and so much more. So I want to ask, I know Pastor Greg led us in prayer, but I want to pray and ask God to affirm these truths in our hearts and minds that we would ask God, God, how much room am I giving you this Christmas season? How much room am I giving you this morning? Do I know you as my Savior? And if I do know you, am I trying to hold something back? And if I don't know you, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, I don't even know Christ, then today can be the day of salvation for you. You can cry out, repent of your sins, which just means to turn from your sins. Admit that you've fallen from perfection because there's no one perfect. Believe that he died on the cross for your sins, was buried and rose again. Placing your faith and trust in him, not in a religion, not in a denomination, not in baptism, not in any other thing, but in Christ. And you will find eternal life. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things. Father, we're so thankful for this morning. And Lord, I know we could spend so long, so much time just unpacking the power of Isaiah 9, 6. Just who you are. We'll never fully understand this side of heaven who you really are. But I pray that we would endeavor to be in your word, to be open to you, Holy Spirit, as you instruct us and guide us. That we would be responsive to what you're doing in our lives. That we would grow in knowledge of grace and truth. Thank you for your word. It is the foundation of everything that we know of you and everything we desire to believe about you. That our very faith, the ability to believe and the ability to continue to grow and believe comes from you and from your word. So I pray that we would give ourselves to the word. I pray that we would give ourselves to study. And I pray that we would worship you as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because you came. So Father, again, may you be glorified. And all that is said and done today, for those that don't know Christ, Lord, whether watching online or here in our midst, I pray that you would work as only you can, convicting them of sin and righteousness. Holy Spirit, we thank you for doing that work, and we ask that you would draw them unto repentance. But for the Christian here this morning, the one that knows you, that's believed and placed their faith and trust in you, I pray that they would ask themselves that, that question this morning as we're just beginning the message. 
How much room are they giving over to you? Do you really have complete authority in their life? They're submitted to your leadership and guidance, no matter what it means and no matter where it takes them, because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords that was born to rescue us from our sin. And all these things, we ask for your wisdom. We need it desperately. And we know that your word says that when we cry out and seek your wisdom, that you will give us what we need. And so, Father, again, thank you for all of this. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we read in just these three passages, the beauty of the reality that Christ was born. It is a gift that was and is given to humanity. If you're following along and and taking notes, you're going to see that it was the perfect gift because it is exactly what we needed. It is the perfect gift because it is what we needed. You see, we have all received a gift in our lives where it was the best gift because it's exactly what we needed at that time. I want you to think for a moment, what was a gift? I'm not going to answer out loud necessarily, but what was a gift that, that you really needed and it showed up and it was given and it just brought you such joy and peace and comfort? Maybe it was when you were a kid and there was something that you really believe you needed and, and here it comes and you were just so excited. I remember when I was a kid, I used to think that getting a Nintendo was really needed. I got a Nintendo a little later than everyone else. I didn't understand it's because it was like clearance from clearance, you know, how it goes. But it's okay. I got Super Mario Brothers 3. Most of my friends had one, so winning at life. But, but we've all received a gift that was the perfect gift. Maybe you've received something even on a grander scale as an adult. Maybe you desperately needed a vehicle. And a car showed up. A vehicle was provided. Maybe you desperately needed basic provisions like food. And you didn't want to seek help. You weren't really sure what to do. And and all of a sudden, here comes a gift of food from someone that just said they wanted to be a blessing. You ever receive the gift of encouragement at just the right time? A word of comfort? A prayer that was offered? A card that shows up in the mail? a text or something along those lines that you just knew, man, I just needed that. You see, the gift of salvation is the best and the perfect gift. And it should be celebrated. Why? Because it's the perfect gift at the right time. Because it's exactly what we needed. The gift of Christ is exactly what we need. And when we receive it, it brings joy unspeakable, peace uncontainable, and a sense of fulfillment. Now we'll speak to that in a couple of weeks about how the gift of Christ satisfies. But we understand that it just fulfills us. It satisfies us. It answers a deep longing inside of us and it meets a need that we desperately had. It is the perfect gift. It was the perfect gift because it's what we needed, even though we didn't know it. See, with the person and work of Christ, sometimes we don't know that we really needed that. We thought our needs were something else. We thought we had different needs. Like socks on Christmas morning, we did not want the gift of salvation. If we're being honest and looking into God's word, that's what the Bible reveals to us. We wanted gifts that quenched the longings of our flesh. And yet God, as our good and loving Heavenly Father, knew exactly what we needed and sent Christ. And the reality is that we, as a whole, humanity, rejected him. When you read the Gospels, you're going to find out Christ came 
and was rejected by the majority of those that were supposed to be the ones that knew the most about his coming. The story, and we'll get into it at some point, I'm sure, but, but the story of when the wise men come and they're seeking Jesus, where do they go? They don't go to Bethlehem. They go to the palace. Well, why'd they go to the palace in Jerusalem? Because he was born king of kings. And where do the kings live? They live in the palace, so let's go there. And do you notice when they show up that Herod seeks out those that know Scripture and says, hey, where is Jesus supposed to be born? And they go, in Bethlehem. Like they knew exactly where he was going to be born. And yet Jesus comes on the scene as a young man. He's in the temple. He's talking to the scribes and the religious leaders, and they're blown away by his wisdom. And then we fast forward to about the age of 30, and now he's ministering and he's doing these things, the exact things the Old Testament says he's going to do. And the religious leaders are like, I just don't know. I don't know if this is the guy. And the vast majority rejected him. Story after story. There's even an example where they were so intimidated by the power of Christ, rather than submit to his authority, they said, can you just leave? We'd really like it if you would just leave. Now, we would wonder, man, what would I do in that situation? I would stay and I would, I would fight it out and I would stand. Do you know what Jesus did? He left. He said, okay. And the Bible actually says he limited what he did in that area because of their doubt and their lack of faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we control Jesus and we control God. God's will is God's will, and God is going to do what God is going to do. You don't stop God from being God because you don't want to believe he's God. But what it does mean is that Jesus understood the hardness of their hearts, understood their disconnect from faith, and said, okay, then I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to do what I could do in your midst. And he left. You see, they rejected Jesus because they didn't understand it was the exact thing they needed and the gift that would satisfy them the most. But as I said, as many of us experience as children, like socks on Christmas morning, we toss it aside. Well, that can't be what I really need. That's not what I want. The church can be guilty of exactly the same thing. You see, when the religious leaders saw Jesus and they listened to him teach, he didn't say what they thought he would say. He didn't do what they thought he would do, their preconceived ideas. He didn't elevate them as these great religious leaders like he believed they should. He should. And so because he didn't fit their expectations of what they thought he should be, obviously he's not the Messiah and we're just going to reject him. And we read that page after page in the Gospels. So how in the world do we as humans do this today? How do we as people do this today? Well, I can't speak for the world. I'll just speak for the churchgoers. And I think there's a lot of churchgoers that do the exact same thing as the religious leaders. Jesus doesn't match up with what we think, so we reject him. And then we create a whole different Jesus that satisfies our flesh, that satisfies our longing. I'm always amazed when I hear people, especially over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, make statements like, you know, if Jesus was here, he'd never say that. He'd never do that. He'd never treat people that way. And then I go to the word and I start reading accounts and stories of encounters with Jesus, with those individuals. And I go, yeah, he kind of would. Yeah, he kind of would say that. Yeah, he would call them out on their sin. 
Yeah, he would say this and this is truth. But the beauty of it is that he spoke truth in love. He never compromised. He never condoned sinful behavior. But it's amazing how the sinners in the community that were known sinners flocked to Jesus. Why? He spoke truth in love. He told them what they needed to hear because he loved them so much. But a lot of people have skewed the idea of who Jesus really is. We've created a whole different Jesus. We actually can see this when we look at pictures and images of Jesus. I'm not going to say if you have a picture of Jesus on your wall, that's wrong. But I'm just saying, think about most of the time. What do you see when you see a picture of Jesus? And I think we have a skewed image because really we don't believe he's really who he says he was. I love what Vody Bakum, Dr. Vody Bakum says about this. He says, when you think about Jesus and how Christians have made him look, he looks like a European model with great features, could actually do shampoo commercials because his hair is so long and flowing, hands that have never seen a day of hard work, feet that are flawless and have never walked a mile. That's the picture of Jesus we put before our eyes. This flawless, beautiful Just in our minds, very attractive man. And yet, what does Isaiah say? If you look at him, he's nothing to look at. He's not very appealing. He doesn't look like you think he would look. He actually looks very normal. He looks very average. This is why when he started teaching and preaching, people were like, really? From Nazareth? This guy? He doesn't look like what I think he should look like. People also tend to do PR work for Jesus in our day and age. We think of Jesus as soft and that God, and that as God, he comes to save us from the previous God. To give an example, some people think that Jesus is the God that comes on the right side of the Bible or the New Testament to apologize for what the guy did on the left side of the Bible or the Old Testament. He's a softer and a gentler administration compared to the previous aggressive and harder administration. We try to make Christ more appealing, more palatable. But the truth is, God doesn't need us to make Christ more anything. He doesn't need us to do PR work for him. Why? Because he is exactly what we need. He is exactly as he is, and he is exactly who he says he is in the fullness of God given to us as a sacrifice that we might know him as Savior. You see, if we do not see Jesus for who he truly is in Scripture, then we, as the religious leaders did in Jesus' day, have rejected him. We have not truly received the true Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever done this. I know I've been tempted to do this in sharing Christ with people. You'll present Christ and the last questions, and you want to try to sugarcoat some things and make Jesus seem more appealing because they think, well, this is, I want to show you that he's a gift, and this is what I think a gift would look like. So, so let me present him this way. This is why people teach things like, if you become a follower of Christ, everything's going to be great. Like, and we've talked about this before. You'll always be healthy, wealthy, and blessed. You never go through a struggle the day of your life. You'll always get the promotion. You'll always get the girl. You'll always get the guy. You'll always get this. Again, that sounds so good, but it is so not in God's word. It's not biblical. The Bible says if you receive Christ, you will receive eternal life apart from anything you've ever done, but by grace, through faith, and you will see him when you leave this world. But there will also be trials. 
there will be struggles. There will be persecution. And we actually, according to Peter, we joyfully walk through that. Why? Because we counted a joy to suffer as Christ suffered. We are so thankful because we can glorify him in our times of blessing, times of provision, and times of want. You see, we have to receive Christ exactly as he is because he is exactly what we need. Not the Jesus you've created or someone else has created. The Jesus of the word of God is what we need. He is the perfect gift because he came at the right time and he's exactly what we needed. Christ came as the perfect gift at the right time. At the right time. He is exactly what we needed. He is all that he says he is, and he came exactly when we needed him. Galatians chapter 4. Turn there with me quickly. Galatians chapter 4. Again, if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 821. Galatians chapter 4, and we're going to look at just one verse together. Galatians chapter 4. Jesus is, and the gift of celebration is the best gift. It's the perfect gift because it's exactly what we needed, even though we didn't know it, and it came at the right time. Galatians 4, look at verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. That he sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Verse 5, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then heir of God. The power of this passage is overwhelming. I love that it says, and Paul writing to the church of Galatia says, that Jesus came for those that were under the law. That doesn't just mean the Jewish people. It means all of humanity. Because we're all under the law in a sense of condemnation. We've all broken the law. Romans talks about that. Whether it was a Jew that understood the law and broke the law, or whether it was a Gentile, a non-Jewish person that didn't even know the law, but still violated the law, the law of their conscience. And, and Paul says, listen, he came for this purpose. He came to redeem humanity. That we might be sons and daughters of God. And there's a line here in verse 4 of Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time... I'm sorry, when the fullness of the time was come. What a powerful phrase. You see, he came at the right time. In the fullness of time, then. In the perfect time, then. Again, this is so powerful because it reveals a key that we have to believe about our God. God has a plan. Now, it didn't do much for you. I understand. That's okay. We'll try again. I don't know about it. It brings me great satisfaction to know that this is not just all just happenstance. I'm thankful that my life is not just a random combination of circumstances and possibilities. That my God, our God, the God of the word of God has a distinct plan and purpose for everything. That nothing that happens to you or in your life is by chance 
or happenstance or luck. It is the work of God as his sovereign plan to orchestrate all that he will have accomplished. And we get to be a part of that. We get to see him work his plan. And the Bible says that when the fullness of the time was come, he sent forth his son. God has a plan and a purpose. God was not reacting to circumstances going on in the world as though it had gotten to a point where he just had to do something. God's not in heaven sitting on his throne looking at the angels and go, what do you guys think? You think we should do something about this? It's getting pretty crazy down there. Maybe we should do something. I don't know. No, God was working his plan. When the fullness of the time was come, God did exactly what he intended, when he intended, and how he intended it to be. Christ came at the exact right moment in history. I love this excerpt from Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown commentary, and I I like the way they phrase this, and so I wanted to read this to us this morning. In regards to this perfect timing and his plan being exactly right, the author says this, God does nothing prematurely, but foreseeing the end from the beginning waits till all is ripe for the execution of his purpose. There's a song from back in the day, God is never late. God is always on time. Remember the story of Lazarus? Lazarus' sisters in great grief couldn't understand why Jesus didn't show up a few days earlier. In fact, he's even accused of being late. You know, if you would have come when I wanted you here, he never would have died. So it's your fault, Jesus, because I know you could have healed him. And isn't it amazing? Jesus doesn't rebuke her instantly. Do you know what the Bible says Jesus does? He weeps with them because he sees their grief. But then he doesn't just stay weeping with them. He draws them to truth because truth leads emotion. Amen? Emotion never leads truth. How we feel about it doesn't change the truth of it. But when we focus on truth, we will always have the right feelings about it as we conform to the truth of Christ. And so what does Jesus say? I'm the resurrection and the life. See, if Jesus would have come when she wanted him to come, she would have missed, they would have all missed one of the most miraculous moments in the ministry of Christ. He does nothing prematurely, but foreseeing the end from the beginning. Some, someone here this morning, I truly believe, needs to be reminded of this. It is not an accident. It is not chance. God is working his plan in your life, and he sees the end from the beginning. Be patient. I'm not saying it's going to work out the way you want. And in fact, I believe God usually does it the way we don't want and we didn't see coming. But it's amazing when he does his plan and we're in agreement with him, he conforms our heart to his desires. And now we praise him. It's not going to be what you want it to be every time, but it'll always be what you need it to be because he's working his plan and his purpose. The author goes on to say this. Sin was fully developed. Man's inability to save himself by obedience to the law, whether that of Moses or that of conscience, was completely manifested. Everyone was aware. You could look around and go, well, he ain't perfect. She ain't perfect. They're doing this. We all know we've broken the law of Moses. We cannot keep it. And we also know we've sinned against our own conscience. All the prophecies of various ages found their common center in this particular time. And providence by various arrangements in the social and political as well as the moral world had fully prepared the way for the coming Redeemer. It was the perfect moment. 
and Jesus came. You see, it was the right time then, and it is the right time now. It was the right time then, and it is the right time now. In our lives today, it's the right time. Because Christ came 2,000 years ago, you and I can enjoy a personal relationship with him today. That through faith and grace, we can know him and be known by him. We unpacked that phrase on Wednesday night. If you are available, we have a Wednesday night adult prayer and Bible study that we meet every single Wednesday from 7 to 8.15. Kind of goes in alignment with our kids' ministry. And we spend time getting into God's word and we spend time in open prayer and just praying together as the body of Christ for various needs and whatever people want to share. And we talked about what does it mean to be known of God? See, we might know God and know things about God or have made a decision about knowing God and we receive Christ as Savior. But do you know that you are not one who knows God, but you're known of God? That the Bible says that you have an intimate relationship with him? Do you know the other time that phrase being known is used is in relation to husband and wife when they become one flesh? And Paul says, you are known of God, that in Christ, you have all that you need in that relationship, that you are one with him and he is one with you. And so when we go into our days, when you wake up tomorrow and you go back to work or you go back into that situation, you need to know that you are known of him. And because he came 2,000 years ago and was the right gift at the right time then, in the fullness of time, it's the right gift today. We do not have to wait until we reach heaven. We can live in the fullness of our salvation today. So next week, we're actually going to unpack the reality that the gift of Christ is the gift that keeps on giving. We'll talk about what that looks like, the gift that keeps on giving. But I want to remind you, right now, you are living the eternal life. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven that you can enjoy the relationship you have with Christ today because he came at the perfect time. And so maybe you're going through a situation right now and you don't know how it's going to turn out. Then the perfect thing you can do, the best thing you can do is to realize you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have a relationship with God the Father, that he is the Prince of Peace, the wonderful counselor. You can go to him. And pray and seek for wisdom. Seek for peace and comfort. And he has given it to you through his spirit. So I want to ask you a couple questions in closing this morning as we try to apply this message this morning to our lives. You don't need to answer out loud, but I just want you to think about these things. We're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. We're going to have a chance to respond, whether they're in your seats or if you'd like to come forward and pray. Are we celebrating the gift of salvation this morning? Are we truly celebrating that gift? Or are we just getting through? You know, one of the most difficult things for preachers and for pastor friends of mine is to preach Christmas series because it's the same story. It's been the same story for 2,000 years. And you can do graphics. You can do, I have some friends of mine, we joke about this. Like, okay, what are we going to do this year? But I'm so thankful it's the same story. It's never changed because it is worth celebrating. Have you received Christ for yourself? Are you enjoying and worshiping him? Or do you believe Christmas is something to just get through? Something that is full of stress and anxiety to try to get the perfect gift for that person. And you're so fearful. If you get it wrong, they're going to lose their mind. Maybe you're here and you're like, I just, 
you know, I used to like Christmas, but now as an adult, I host Christmas gatherings. And I spend days stressing about the meal and about the decorations and about the house and getting everything cleaned. Are my children going to act like monkeys? Like, what do I do if they're crazy? And like, what do I do with this? If you're sitting there, you're like, what are you talking about? Have children. Trust me. I love my children. But at times in, the, in their lives, animals. Like just, have, have you functioned in society before? Do you know what's going on? Maybe that's you. You're like, I just got to get through. Because you're adding all this stress, all this expectation. I got to throw the perfect party and have the perfect food. And it's got to look perfect. Nobody desires perfection more than time with you. And if they desire perfection and that's their expectation, they're disappointed. That's not your problem. Stop living under the fear of other people. Just celebrate Christmas. Have the party, have the dinner, have the time together and don't add extra stress this time of year. Don't let the weights of the world's view of Christmas burden you. Rather, in Christ, realize that he is a gift we celebrate. And this Christmas, like every day, we celebrate him with all of us. And so I want to encourage you this morning. How, how would God speak to you in that? How would God encourage you in this this morning? In what way can you apply by the moving of the Holy Spirit this message this morning? Are you celebrating him? Do you realize that he came at the perfect time? then and the the perfect time now that you have a relationship with him, that he's all that you needed. He continues to be all that you need. And so when your spouse lets you down, when your family members let you down, when our world lets you down, when politics continue to let you down, when other people let you down, you realize I'm not satisfied in any of those things. I'm satisfied in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And so that's okay. I have peace. I have joy because I have all I need in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we Spend some time in invitation this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find therein. Lord, I know that there's a temptation that we all face to get kind of wrapped up in all the stress and the craziness of the season. And Lord, I know we say this every Christmas. At least I know I try to bring it up every first Sunday of December. It comes with an intentional desire to consciously say, I will not, I will not waste this month. I will not waste these days of celebration. I will with great intention and purpose celebrate the personal work of Jesus Christ. I will look to glorify him in everything that we do in this season. Every gift that we give, every dinner that we go to, everything we do, every song we sing, it will be for him and his glory alone. And I will enjoy this season. I will enjoy laughter and joy with family members and friends. I will enjoy the Christmas season where the gifts and the wrapping paper are being torn apart and just there's so much excitement and joy and I'm going to enjoy every moment of that. I'm not going to add any weight or burden of others' expectations because I'm not going to live in fear. I'm going to celebrate the gift of salvation because I am known of him. And so, Father, we pray that you would work as only you can and give us wisdom and guidance in all these things. Lord, thank you for the reality that you came 
We didn't realize what we needed, but you came at the exact right time and were and are exactly what we need. Help us to not try to change or conform you to what we want, but that we might be conformed into the image of Christ. And so, Father, thank you for this morning. Pray that you would give wisdom and guidance to those that need to make decisions for Christ, those that are already feeling that stress, those that are already feeling that weight. I pray they would come and lay those burdens down that they might find the joy and the peace that's already available to them in Christ. And Father, again, if anybody doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray they'd make that decision this morning before they leave this place because the Bible says that when we leave this world, there's only one of two destinations that we will spend eternity, either with you through Christ in your heaven or separated from you in a place called hell for all of eternity. It's not a scare tactic, Lord. It's the truth. And thank you for loving us enough to tell us that. So I pray that we've made decisions to receive Christ and we've made the decision to give you all of us, our whole heart. We want to make room for you, Lord, because you're worthy of so much, you're worthy of that and so much more. Lord, again, be glorified in all of this as we respond to what you're doing. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We want to invite you to come. Maybe you want to come and bend a knee in the front and just pray and thank him that he came. Thank him for the gift of salvation. Maybe you want to come and make a decision for Christ. Or maybe you need to come and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to give you all of me. My whole heart is yours. I'm not holding back anymore. Whatever it is that God is doing in your heart and in your mind, would you respond there in your seats or maybe in the front when we pray as we sing the song of worship to him?